0: Hey, podcast listeners, thanks for streaming today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory is a nonprofit ministry featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Robert Jeffress. And right now, your generous gift will have twice the impact... Thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge, active right now through December 31st. To give a special year-end gift, go to ptv.org podcast and click the Donate button, or follow the link in our show notes. Now, here's today's podcast, From Pathway to Victory. This is Robert Jeffers. In response to the horrific attack on Israel,
1: I've written a brand new book called, Are We Living in the End Times? Go to ptv.org to order your copy. You know what impresses me about this is the way Jesus deals with John. He doesn't blast him away. You unbeliever, how in the world could you doubt me after you've seen so much? I'm sending you to hell as quickly as I can. He doesn't deal with him that way at all. He deals with his doubt gently. And he does the same with you and with me.
0: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. At some point in your Christian walk, you've probably asked a few tough questions about your faith. Well, God's Word makes it abundantly clear that it's okay to doubt. And today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress turns to a comforting lesson in Luke chapter 7 for anyone who struggles to believe the promises of God. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome to Pathway to Victory.
1: When we look back on 2023, historians will forever note the darkness that overshadowed our year. And yet, even today, I see God working in the darkness. You see, for Pathway to Victory, we'll look back on 2023 as a year when our ministry was catapulted into new territory. Pathway to Victory has expanded far beyond Dallas to nearly every major city in America, adding new nighttime releases in several markets as well. We've been invited to beam our daily broadcast into several prisons in Texas, and all this growth has occurred not in isolation, but in partnership with generous friends like you. With all this momentum, we're excited about the Active Matching Challenge in the amount of $500,000, which ends on midnight, New Year's Eve, December 31st. For just a few more days, this means that your gift, no matter what the size, will have twice the impact until we reach the goal. And so I'm boldly asking you to help us take advantage of this extraordinary opportunity to have an even greater impact in the new year as we use the total of $1 million to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. As an expression of my thanks for your gift toward the matching challenge, I'm going to send you the brand new 2024 Pathway to Victory daily devotional. I'll say more about this resource later on, but right now, I'd like to share a message that's for anyone who struggles to believe in God's promises. We're looking at Luke chapter seven. I titled today's message, For Those Who Doubt. All of us at some point in our life will question either the love, the wisdom, or even the existence of God. If that's true of you, you're in good company. It may surprise you to know that some of the greatest men and women in history who have been used by God have all had times of great doubt. Today, we're going to look at the individual who Jesus said was the greatest person in all of human history. And yet, even though Jesus said that about him, this individual had moments when his faith was shaken to its very foundation. Of course we're talking about john the baptist if you have your bibles today i want you to turn to luke chapter 7 because today you're going to find this message very encouraging if you've ever had periods of doubt in your life or in the life of somebody you care about deeply luke chapter 7 beginning with verse 18 And the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. And summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for something else? John, what are you saying? Are you the expected one? Have you had a heat stroke? Don't you remember, John? You were the one who said... Here is the one who is the answer to the Old Testament prophecies for a Messiah. What would cause John to doubt that? At the root of John's question was a profound disappointment in what Jesus was doing or not doing in his own life. John was saying, Lord, if you're the expected one, why am I in this dark, damp Roman prison? Let me stop here for a moment and point out what I believe are four sources of doubt in our life. First of all, unlived truth. If there is a contradiction between what you profess to be true and how you actually live, you can't live with that dissonance for a long period of time. Secondly, an unexamined faith can be the source of doubt. The fact is there needs to be a time when you closely study and examine what you believe because there's going to come a time of doubt and as First Peter 3.15 says, you need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks, including yourself, for the hope that is within you. Now, there's really nothing in the text that suggests that there was any unlived truth in John's life or an unexamined faith, but these next two sources of doubt, I think, apply. The third source of doubt can be unanswered prayer. You know, John wasn't upset about what Jesus was doing, it's what he wasn't doing. What John was really saying was Hey, Jesus, remember me? Have you forgotten about me? No doubt. He was requesting that Jesus intervene in his situation. Many times we do the same thing, and that causes doubt for many people. The fourth cause of doubt is probably the bottom line cause of doubt, and that is undeserved suffering. A survey recently asked a cross-section of Americans, if you could ask God only one question, what would you ask him? You know what the overwhelming response was? God, why do you allow suffering in the world? By the way, that question isn't original. David, Solomon, Job, all asked the very same question. God, if both believers and unbelievers suffer financial hardship, illness, death, then what use is it being a believer? That's what John was really asking. He said, Lord, if you can't even get me out of this prison, what good are you? Now I want you to notice how Jesus responds. First of all, he speaks to John directly through these messengers. Secondly, he speaks to the multitude who are overhearing the whole conversation. And finally, he has a word to the Pharisees. First of all, to John himself. Look at verse 22. And Jesus answered and said to John's messengers, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus said, and by the way, verse 23, remind John, blessed is he who keeps from stumbling over me. That word stumble means to ensnare, entrap. He was saying very gently to John, John, remember You'll be a lot happier with me if you don't stumble over me because I'm not performing just the way you think I should. You know what impresses me about this is the way Jesus deals with John. He doesn't blast him away. You infidel, you unbeliever, how in the world could you doubt me after you've seen so much? I'm sending you to hell as quickly as I can. He doesn't deal with him that way at all. He deals with his doubt gently. And he does the same with you and with me. You see, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Big difference. We'll talk about it more in just a moment. But doubt in and of itself is neither good nor bad. It's either good or bad depending on where it leads you. If doubt leads you to a deeper belief after questioning your faith and examining the evidence, doubt can be a good thing. It can strengthen you. But if doubt leads you to turn away from God, then it's an evil thing. By the way, parents, please remember that truth. If it hadn't happened to you already, more than likely, there's going to come a time when your child during his or her teenage years or a young adult is going to come and say, you know, mom, dad, I grew up hearing all this stuff. I thought I believed it, but I'm really not sure I believe in Christianity any longer. I'm not even sure I believe in God any longer. You know, don't hit the panic button when that happens. Don't call in the priest for an exorcism, okay? (laughs) Don't think everything is lost. Understand, questioning is a normal part of teenage and adult passage. As they move from embracing your faith, because it was your faith, to embracing their own faith. There's nothing wrong about questioning. When they question, don't panic. You can say if it's true. Uh, You can say, well, you know what? I've gone through those same doubts myself, and here's how I resolve them. You can point them to helpful resources to help them in their questioning. You know, as a pastor, doing this for more than 30 years. I had that happen so many times where people express doubt about basic issues of Christianity. I said, you know, I'm going to write a book to just put into people's hands that they can share with those who have doubts about the basic issues of Christianity. The book is called, How Can I Know? Answers to Life's Seven Most Important Questions. And I spent a year researching this book. I I, I read dozens and dozens of books and tried to, in 30 pages or less, answer each of the seven major questions. How can I know there's a God outside of the Bible? How can I know the Bible is true and can be trusted? How do I know out of all the thousands of religions in the world, Christianity is the right religion? How can I know God's good with all of the suffering in the world? If your children or grandchildren asked you for an answer to those questions, would you know what to say? Could you give them the facts? That's why I wrote this book, and I would encourage those of you who are dealing with a doubter right now, pick up a copy of How Can I Know? It's a great resource to help people who are having sincere doubts about their faith. But parents, understand, that is a normal process. It was for John, it will be for you and most people as well. Then after dealing gently with John, notice he said a word to the multitudes. There was a whole group around Jesus. They had heard Jesus interchange with John's disciples. And so after Jesus dismissed these men to go back to John, look at what it says in verse 24. When the messengers of John had left, Jesus began to speak to the multitudes about John. He knew some of the crowd was going to think less of John after what they had just heard. So Jesus wants to correct their thinking. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? Remember just 18 months ago when you all were flocking around the Jordan River to listen to John? What was he? Was he one of those little tiny bamboo-like shoots that springs up out of the lake and just blows whichever way the wind blows? Was that John? No. He spoke with power and with authority. Verse 25, and what did you go out to see when you went out to see John? A man dressed in soft clothing? That word soft in Greek means effeminate. That wasn't John. He was dressed in camel hair. There's nothing more uncomfortable than camel hair. He wasn't living a life of luxury in the palace. No, he was out there in the wilderness, subsisting on locusts and honey. He was a tough guy. Verse 28 And I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. He extolled the faith. Of John. And then he adds this word, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Why did Jesus add that? Was that a backhanded kind of compliment? Not at all. Jesus was saying, as great as John was, he was part of a bygone era, the prophets. He was the last of the prophets. Jesus was anticipating a new era that was about to come after his death and resurrection. The church era in which every follower of Christ would be permanently indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That had never happened before. Abraham didn't get to experience that. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, no other person before had ever had the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. You and I living in the church age right now, when we trust in Christ as Savior, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We can do miraculous things. We can bring people to faith in Christ. We can do miracles of conversion all through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he means when he says, uh, as great as John was, he's nothing compared to those who are released in this coming age. But what I want you to see in this is Jesus' attitude toward John was not diminished by his momentary lapse of faith. Jesus is still saying he's greatest of anyone who's ever been born. Aren't you glad God doesn't judge you or me by one episode in our life? One slip up, one mess up, God throws us out of the kingdom doesn't work that way. I mean, just look in history at the way God dealt with those who had their own stumbles and falls. I think about King David, a man guilty of adultery and murder, and yet God said about him, he's a man after my own heart. Or think about Abraham. Talk about lapses in faith. It was one screw-up after another in Abraham's life. And yet God said about Abraham, he is my friend, Fact is, God doesn't judge us by one episode in our life. He looks at the long view. And when he looked at John's life, he said, "Not this momentary lapse of faith, that's not who John is. My impression of him remains firm. He's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Now, unfortunately, Jesus didn't have such kind words for the third group he addressed, the Pharisees. Look at verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Now you may think, wait a minute, why is Jesus so hard on the Pharisees? They didn't accept him as Messiah? John questioned whether Jesus was the Messiah. What's the difference between the two? The difference is the difference between doubt and unbelief. John had doubts. The Pharisees were plagued with unbelief. And to understand the difference between doubt and unbelief, Jesus tells this brief parable. Look at verses 31 and 32. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. What in the world is he talking about? One commentator calls this the parable of the bratty kids. (laughs) Let me tell you what, let me help you picture what Jesus is talking about here. You know how kids get together sometime and they're looking for something to do, and somebody says, hey, let's play hide and go seek. Everybody else says, nah, we don't want to play that. Somebody else says, let's play cowboys and Indians. I don't know, is that still politically correct to play cowboy? It may not be. I'm sorry if it's not. But let's just say somebody says, let's play cowboy and Indians. Nah, we don't want to play that either. No matter what suggestion is made, everybody declines. Now, in Jesus' day, they didn't play hide-and-go-seek. They didn't play cowboys and Indians. But that's the idea here. Jesus said, this generation, you Pharisees, are like a group of bratty kids. Somebody says, hey, let's play wedding. That was a popular game back in Jesus' day. Kids would play like they were in a wedding. We'll play the flute, and you dance as they do in a wedding procession. The church said, nah, we don't want to do that. You keep playing your flute, but we're not going to dance. Somebody else says, oh, I've got a better idea. Let's play funeral. (laughs) Let's play funeral. Let's have a funeral procession. We'll sing a dirge, and then you all be the mourners weeping over the lost one. And so a group starts singing the funeral dirge, but everybody says, ah, we don't want to play that. That is a real downer. Play funeral? Who wants to do that? Now Jesus said, you Pharisees are just like those children. You don't like to do anything. You won't receive anybody. Here John the Baptist comes and says, repent, repent. You say, oh, we don't want to listen to that. That's too hard of a message. Jesus said, then I come and I preach a message of grace. You say, we don't like that either. That's too easy. The fact is, you're looking for a reason not to believe. And that's the difference, folks, between a doubter and an unbeliever. Somebody has said a doubter is one who is honestly searching for the truth. An unbeliever is one who runs from the truth. A doubter looks for a reason to believe. An unbeliever looks for any reason not to believe. God accepts doubters, but he rejects unbelievers. I'm speaking to some of you today, some of you watching or listening to this broadcast, perhaps you're going through a period of doubt in your life, or you know somebody who is. How do you deal with that doubt? Let me give you four principles in closing very, very quickly for dealing with doubt, either in your life or the life of somebody you care about. Number one, discern the cause of your doubt. Look over those four reasons I gave. Is it because of unlived truth in your life? Is it because of an unexamined faith? Maybe, but more than likely, the cause of your doubt is God is not behaving like you think he should in your life. It's a big mistake to think of Jesus like a genie or a divine bellhop who's there at your every beck and call. God's not like that. Remember the words of Isaiah 55, 9, in which God said, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Discern the cause of your doubt. Number two, share your doubts with a mature Christian. Share your doubts with a mature Christian. Somebody has written that doubt flourishes in the dark like mushrooms that grow in a damp cellar it's in solitude, when we're separated, when we feel all alone, that our doubts become larger and more ominous. Remember where John was when his doubts began to grow. He was isolated. He was in prison. He was alone. And that's why it's so important that if we have doubts, we talk to somebody about it. A mature Christian may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be a mature Christian friend. It may be a parent. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 12, two are better than one, Solomon said, and a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's why it's so important, folks, to become not just a spectator in a church like this, but to become a member where you are bound together with other people who can help you, who can encourage you whenever you stumble or fall in your faith That's the value of being a part of a body of believers. Number three, view your doubt as an opportunity to grow. You know, James 1, 3 says, the testing of your faith can produce endurance. And that's true about doubt. If you respond to it the right way, it can actually make your faith stronger. Finally, remember that our doubts never diminish God's love. Our doubts never diminish God's love. Can I tell you something about God? He's not threatened by your questions. He's big enough to handle your doubts. Whenever you doubt, it doesn't change what God thinks of you one bit. A number of years ago, I was talking to a young Christian girl who was going through a very hard time in her life. She was crying, and through the tears, she said... I'm not even sure I believe in God any longer. And I think God gave me exactly the words to say to her. I said, that's okay. Even when you don't believe in God, he still believes in you. Isn't that the truth of scripture? 2 Timothy 2.13, Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Good words to remember for those who doubt. At Pathway to Victory, we're praying that God would use today's message to rekindle a flame of passion for him among those who doubt or among those who have grown indifferent about spiritual things. No matter the level of your spiritual fervor, all of us need daily reminders to pursue God. For that reason, I'm pleased to remind you that I've written a brand new Pathway to Victory daily devotional for 2024. I want you to have this leather-bound book, more than 500 pages in length. It's yours when you give a generous gift toward the matching challenge today. And because of this tremendous opportunity, every gift you send Pathway to Victory before December 31st will be automatically doubled, having twice the impact for the new year. Today, your gift of, say, $100 automatically becomes $200. Your generous gift of $500 becomes $1,000. There's really no limit to how much you can give. Any amount between now and December 31st will be matched and doubled. You know, last year, our financial partners helped us achieve so many great things. Our radio program is now heard on more than 1,000 local stations like this one. Our television program airs all over the world, including the American Forces Network, where we bring a ray of hope to our military personnel serving in harm's way. Recently, we expanded our broadcast ministry into Israel, where we reach a whole new audience with bold, biblical, and practical teaching from God's Word. And we achieved all these significant milestones through our partnership with generous friends just like you. So, let's continue this important mission while there's still time. Let me ask you to help us take Pathway to Victory to the next level next year for God's glory alone, in order that we might continue piercing the darkness with the light of His Word.
0: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous year-end gift toward our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2024. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go online to ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also include the complete CD and DVD sets for The Incomparable Christ teaching series. Plus, you'll also receive Celebrate the Savior, Volume 2. That's a brand new music CD filled with beautiful Christmas performances from the First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. Remember, because of our Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge, your gift today will be double in impact by another generous donor. But the clock is ticking. And this opportunity ends on December 31st at midnight, so please get in touch right away. Call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. If you'd prefer to write, let me give you this address, P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine 609 Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box two twenty three six zero nine 609 Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Inviting you to join us next time for a message called Truth That Transforms. That's Thursday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. You've made it to the end of today's podcast from Pathway to Victory. We're so glad you're here. Pathway to Victory relies on the generosity of loyal listeners like you to make this podcast possible. And right now, your special year-end gift will be matched and therefore doubled in impact thanks to the Proclaim the Gospel Matching Challenge. Take advantage of this opportunity to double your impact before the deadline on December 31st. To give toward the Matching Challenge, go to ptv.org slash podcast and click on the Donate button or follow the link in our show notes. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast, From Pathway to Victory.